social ladies. All the 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 social ladies. Now put your phones up. Live from Brooklyn. It's all the social ladies. It's Monday night. Well, yeah, it is four o'clock, but it's Monday night because the sun sets now. It looks beautiful so from my angle. In case you yeah, you wanted to okay, look. Yeah, it does look pretty. I saw a tweet that was like, "Yo, how much daylight they trying to save?" <laughs> I saw that too. Like, why does it need to be nighttime at four thirty p.m.? Wasn't there a petition going around that people wanted to ban daylight savings? Yes. What happened to that? I don't know. We should bring it back up. You know what also happened that I'm particularly pissed about? What? Instagram and its new button placement. Okay, so this is what I'm more annoyed about than the button placement is Adam Aseri from TikTok. (laughs) Is that that his name? Yeah. He did a how it started versus how it's going video and it was literally just like the buttons where they used to be and the buttons now. Why why does that upset you? Because no one asked for that. (laughs) (laughs) Like literally they put everything that you're used to tapping like in a different place. In a place that you never tap. Correct. And then they put things you don't care about or things you don't use as often, like reels or Instagram shopping, in the part where you are used to going to get everything you want. Can you tell me how I'm supposed to post a photo that's not in my story? Because Can you tell me how to post a story? That's hard too. I am so frustrated. I'm all for shopping on Instagram. Cool. Good for them. Love that. Keep it up. But I want to go to see who most recently liked my last <laughs> photograph. And who followed me? Right. God damn it. It's hard. I The only thing I will say that I like is I can double tap and switch accounts. It's really nice switching between my personal and the ATSL account. Now. Oh, I didn't know that. I'll show I'll you that one after this. That's the only... I'll give you that, Instagram. I'll give you that. I have three accounts. Though. Well, best of luck. <laughs> I don't know how to navigate that. <laughs> okay, on the Instagram train... I saw something that just came out about the best Instagram caption length for 2021. I love this. So I'm a copywriter. And (laughs) oftentimes people say no one reads the copy. But I love the copy. People read the copy. I think that opinion has changed. Well, so the average length is 405 characters, which is like 50 to 60 words, I think. Mm -hmm. It's way longer than a a tweet. Well, I think that Instagram people, it's not just the visuals anymore it's like the story behind them Mm -hmm. right so I always love the New York Times because they have these lengthy captions and you learn something from every post and it gives you like a snippet of you know an article and you can go to the website to read more but people are increasingly writing these longer captions and I think it goes for food Instagram or sharing or sharing a recipe like North Face Patagonia sharing like these stories about people's adventures yeah I'm here for it there's definitely a weighted value in both elements now I mean I don't think it was like that before yeah I mean frankly you couldn't even do paragraphs in Instagram back in the day yeah that's true do you remember you had there's a limit yeah exactly so it's clear that we're moving in a more narrative direction which I think we have as an agency have been saying all along but it's it's cool that the users are enjoying it as well I agree okay so let's talk TikTok TikTok a new report claims that TikTok will pass 1 billion users in 2021, but this is only possible if TikTok exists. <laughs> We've talked on the show a lot about the what-ifs of the, the future ban. of TikTok, and last week was the day where, you know, it was supposed to be like time's up for TikTok. If they didn't have the sale, then they were going to be banned in the U.S., and TikTok just didn't hear anything. They got forgotten about. 
they got ghosted by the government. <laughs> they did. They did. There were bigger fish to fry last week, I guess. Correct. But now um, the deadline for the sale has been extended 15 days. Mm-hmm. So it really does seem like that app is not at the top of the president's agenda anymore. And hopefully it's here to stay and we can keep TikTok. But keep TikToking. That's the update. That's how I go to bed every night. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to watch TikTok to go to bed. It's entertaining. It I is. Love it. Well, I think I set you up perfectly to segue into our guest this week. <laughs> you don't have to say that. Just do the segue. <laughs> um, <laughs> so today we talked to I Alyssa was hoping P- you would pick up what I was putting down. <laughs> today we talked to Alyssa Petersell, who is the founder and CEO of My Wellbeing. My Wellbeing is a platform that matches people with therapists. You answer some questions and it pairs you with a therapist or coach who is the best fit for you based on your preferences. And honestly, I had a great experience using it and I've recommended it to so many friends. So you have no idea how excited I am to even be talking to Alyssa because I'm a huge fangirl. (laughs) Yep, Alyssa talks to us about, you know, the founding story of the company in general. And also we just talk about the effects that social media has on one's mental health. And, you know, she gives some great insights from her perspective on what that means. Mm -hmm. Should we listen to it? Let's do it. Hi, Alyssa. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. We are so excited. Thank you for joining our social lady gang. Are you ready for the social media speed round? Born ready. Let's go. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite social network? Instagram. What is your go-to emoji? <sighs> Fire. <laughs> Twitter or TikTok? TikTok. Stories or feed? Stories. What Instagram ad can you not get rid of? Uh, some of our competitors. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> what about your favorite meme? Ooh, I don't know. I'm probably one of the only millennials who are like relatively meme free. But anything that's the dog, I'm down. <laughs> Great. Okay, last one. It's 2005 and you're on MySpace. What song was playing on your profile? Um, probably like a Incubus or Oasis, like yeah. some. Oh yeah, one of those like highly emotional dash- dashboard confessional. Mm. Love it. You're speaking to the right crowd. We're we're big fans. That was my scene. It sometimes still is. Cool. So what I would love to do is just start off hearing about you. I mean, I first heard about my well-being because I was in the market for a therapist and I happened to get an Instagram story ad. And now I absolutely love She's told all of our friends about it. Yes, honestly, like I am a huge advocate. So I would just love to hear about you and your story and how my well-being came to be. Yeah, happy to. So it's kind of funny because sometimes when I talk to people, they say, so have you always been an entrepreneur? And it's interesting because I think, honestly, I think behaviorally, yes, but I wouldn't have called it that, would not have even known the word until graduate school and part of that you know, I have memories of I was joking with my family recently because we're recording now in mid-November it was Halloween recently and I have two older brothers and my mother told me recently that she remembers when we were single digit and where I grew up there were a lot of hills and 
She said, I would stand at the bottom of the hill holding my candy bucket and I would direct my brothers up to the top of the hill to get my preferred candy and they'd have to drop it into my bucket before we went to the next house. (laughs) I started school, started my college degree as an engineer because I was strong in math and science in high school and I was really dust. My parents were pretty hands off and I was looking for guidance. And my chemistry teacher said, oh, there's basically no women in engineering. So you might as well go do that. Like you're good enough at chemistry, go for it. So with lack of other guideposts, I was, I said, okay, and got to school, the recovering perfectionist that I am, not only did I go from public school to private school and think that I'd still be at the top of my class, but I entered into an honors program and basically got like beat up day one. I opened my textbook, didn't understand a thing, not a lick of what was going on. Found myself like at the end of the first semester in the textbook store, like crying, holding my chemistry textbook, being like, I used to be so good at this. Why am I failing? So pivoted to psychology, which is perhaps not that unusual for the crying freshman in the textbook store. And just started geeking out over all things human development and was always pretty drawn to alleviating suffering and social causes and Mm. found myself in my first job doing some community organizing in Chicago and loved it, but did not love my immediate work environment. And I felt like I wanted more autonomy. I wanted more freedom. So the classic millennial response and... I used Kickstarter, actually, to crowdfund about a year of research and writing in Hungary, which it turns out is where my ancestors are from, but I did not know that, which is wild. Went there, in the process of being there, a lot of my research was one-on-one narratives and stories with Jewish adults who were generally grandchildren of Holocaust survivors. And we were really digging into what, what is the future of Jewish culture and Jewish identity And the one-on-one was so powerful and so transformative that I decided to train as a therapist upon my return back to the U.S. Mm. At the time, I remember I was looking for dual degrees in social work and business, an MSW, MBA, and they largely did not exist. I think I found one in Michigan. Yeah, I feel like I've absolutely never even heard of that kind of came down (laughs) to the moment I decided that which of the two would I have an easier time teaching myself (laughs) so I was like I properly need a license to practice therapy so let me go get the degree in that right and I can I can podcast and blog post teach some of the business stuff sure that's fine (laughs) so that's what I did and I um Also, when I started training as a therapist, I mentioned recovering perfectionist. I had a history of anxiety at the time. So I kept picking up a therapist search, putting it down when it got hard, picking up a search, Mm -hmm. putting it down when the therapist didn't resonate. And now here I was training as a therapist and I was like, you know what? I really have to go. Like, I cannot postpone this anymore. It's really important that I do this so that I can really empathize with the people who I'm trying to help. So jumped through all the hoops and started providing therapy in my training and started meeting with clients who we were really good fit as people, but not necessarily like the picture perfect fit from a skill set perspective. Mm. So we'd have these great 45 minute, you know, getting to know you sessions. 
only to at the end for me to say, hey, you are fantastic as a person, but I have to tell you, my professional perspective is there are people who are specifically trained in XYZ, which led me, there has to be a better way. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Luckily, I was training, I got my master's in social work at NYU, and NYU happens to have a really developed and, and really deep set of resources for entrepreneurship specifically. So I wound up, you know, spending more time in the business school, spending more time in what they call the e-lab on campus. And because I was a student there, I was eligible for a 10-week either start and launch or grow your startup program over the summer. Hmm. And I basically went into Balsamic, which is this like uh, wireframe design software, mocked up to wireframe, not as a UX designer and engineer, and made this whole pitch of, you know, it's really hard to find the right person. There is a million and a half dating apps, but there aren't any dating apps for therapy. What's the deal? Like, why, why should the most vulnerable people who are susceptible to the most choice fatigue, because if you're feeling anxious or depressed, the last thing you want to do is make a decision or sift the directory. Uh, why shouldn't they have the same resources that we have to, you know, get a personalized recommendation for which Chinese food restaurant you want to order from? As you can tell, I was a little bit frustrated by the status quo. And honestly, a bulk of that 10-week program was doing a lot of quote-unquote discovery or just talking to anyone who wanted to talk to me about, have you ever looked for a therapist? And if you have, what was it like? And if you haven't, So I looked at a ton of other things out there that I thought did a better job. So I looked at anything that had to do with matchmaking, personalization. I looked at a handful of personalized products in the healthcare space, like personalized vitamins, personalized Mm -hmm. um, skincare products to see like, what is it like to really try to get to know what does someone want and need in language they can understand and how do you turn Mm -hmm information to them that would really be helpful. So we landed on a system that, and if you were to come to my well-being, you might find us through content. You may come straight up to mywellbeing.com if you're listening to something like this, in which case you'd come to our homepage. We would describe a little bit about how it works. And again, you'd come to our matchmaking flow. And when you get to the flow, you'd find that we'd help you find the right fit through a variety of different factors. So one is logistics. We also ask about issue areas. So that's where things like sleeplessness or burnout or anxiety or self-esteem would come into play if those are things that are top of mind for you. We also ask about identity elements, which is among the more unique aspects of what we ask, which can include age or gender or sexual orientation or race. Um, And then we also, the, the most unique part of our process is style. And once the client shares their preferences, they then receive three recommendations and we outline the areas that overlap, the areas that don't. And from there, we trust the client and the therapist or coach to move forward with the best fit. And our team is here at My Wellbeing every step of the way for thoughts or questions to suss out. Sometimes all three matches seem like they could be a good fit and someone faces a little bit of indecision and we can help. Or they have questions about the logistics or about the styles and we can help there too. 
So that's a bit about our proper matching experience. And then especially since COVID, we've offered significantly more tools and perspective and almost education via our blog and Mm -hmm. social media. And also we've been doing a lot more B2B experiences where companies will actually sponsor mental health support for their team. I imagine you're seeing quite an uptick in requests for that, both on the B2B side and on a personal people using the the service in general during COVID. Yeah, absolutely. It's really painful to see the the sharp uptick in mental health needs, but at the same time, this is a moment where I think stigma reduction has accelerated years beyond the pace it was moving at before. So Mm -hmm. it's really painful to see how many people need more mental health support, but it's also pretty inspiring and pretty powerful that I personally believe that everyone can benefit from mental health support, whether it's therapy or coaching or just more candid, honest, direct conversations with your loved ones or your colleagues or et cetera. And I think that COVID in a lot of ways has pushed people to a place where we cannot ignore these conversations anymore. 100%. Um, Speaking of transparent, honest conversations, I want to talk about something that's social media and mental health, because Jen and I obviously both work in the social media space. And I think that we are in it so often that, you know, when work is over, then you go to your phone for your own personal, (laughs) you know, social media catching up, but also feeling like, you know, you see the headlines, you see the documentaries about the negative impacts of social media on people and we feel somewhat responsible for those negative you know reactions and responses because we are the ones putting out that content so it's really a hard kind of struggle i want to talk about in general just where we begin the conversation around social media and mental health and what issues you think are the most pressing yeah that's sort of like where to begin i think that social media for mental health believe it or not i think is a bit of if you picture i happen to be a libra but if you picture like a scales situation (laughs) i think that there is actually a tremendous amount of good that can be done and can be facilitated by social media but you have to have boundaries and you have to aware Mm -hmm. of how consequential it can be for your mental health. And the onus, unfortunately, is on the individual a lot of times to set and adhere to those boundaries. Because, you know, even if the phone gives you a time report, even if you set up the locks, there's always a workaround. Yeah, Um, you always can click ignore. Or remind (laughs) me in 15 minutes. It's it's almost too accessible. Exactly. (laughs) So the boundaries have to come from a personal why and a personal place of I'm committed to this. And I think that that's especially dangerous when it comes to children and adolescents, because I think adults, for the most part, uh, you may not realize right away, but you might burn out and then realize, okay, I'm going to set new priorities or new boundaries, or you might burn out two or three or four or five times. And then be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And you recognize the highs and lows. I think just Mentally, mm-hmm. for children and adolescents, there is a very real give me more, give me more, give me more, and a very real limited awareness of consequences and just much more of an attraction to adrenaline and thrill. So, I think the idea of boundaries is a lot harder. One of the biggest documented or research supported consequences is there's a, a very real loneliness epidemic that's happening that 
again, was happening pre-COVID and COVID has just really exacerbated. Mm -hmm. And I also think, I don't know if either of you have watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix, but it's very real. You know, I don't think anyone who was designing social media had deteriorating people's mental health on their mission statement. Mm-hmm. I don't think it right. was an intended consequence at all, but I do think there's a lot of behavioral psychology that goes into the design, that goes into the UX. And if someone's work-dependent KPI is to increase engagement, they're going to use the skills they have to increase engagement. And I do think that that leads to addiction, for sure. And one of probably one of the, the best silver linings of COVID is not... Um, standing waiting for the subway like constantly reflect refreshing your twitter refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are of course in between meetings or during meetings where that probably still happens but um i think for one of the biggest risks as well is comparison anxiety i believe i think that there was a day that believe it or not wasn't that long ago meaning like i first i probably made my first facebook profile when i was in high school which means I had a big chunk of childhood and adolescence where I was, I'm sure, comparing myself against whoever I was in class with, but I was comparing Mm -hmm. myself to the valedictorian in California. Like, I didn't know they existed. I mean, I I did, but I wasn't, the, the breadth and depth of comparison to the best of the best is exhausting and it's, it, you need, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And you're also exposed to all sorts of things that could be helpful. So the mm-hmm. amount of therapists who are on Instagram and who are sharing like very thoughtful uh, perspective and tips that can be really helpful that someone can rely on for free. I don't think anything like that is a replacement for proper human connection and really talking these things through and for the personalized approach of what you would really talk about as it relates to you, as opposed to more broad strokes that could be applicable to wide groups of wide groups of people. But I think there's access to a lot of information and a lower financial barrier than there might have been otherwise. And I think that there can be a lot of really interesting social connection around things that are really personal to you that would probably be hard otherwise. Like I personally am not a huge user of Reddit. But I think that Reddit's a really good example of that, where there are Reddits mm-hmm. for the most nuanced. Yes. <laughs> right. You will find someone who wants yeah. to talk about the, that thing you want yeah. to talk about. Yeah. It was like years past, you know, could you have found someone who had anxiety about ordering their shoes a size too small and having returned them on the internet? Like literally, maybe not. I have that yeah. anxiety. <laughs> Anyone out there who wants to talk about it, to go find someone who you can talk to about that, you know? Yes. I feel like for me, I have been using, or I use social media when there's just like a gap in time, right? And I'm like, oh, I'll pick up my phone in between, you know, during the commercial or when I have a free minute. And I feel like I've consciously found myself not thinking as much, like being alone with my thoughts and listening to what I need and what I want because I just am constantly distracting myself with the screen instead of taking a moment to just Mm -hmm. be with my thoughts. Um, And you mentioned, you know, refreshing Twitter on the subway. I feel like the subway was a good moment for me to just sit there in silence and and unplug. And I found with COVID, I have fewer opportunities or I'm making fewer opportunities to do that. Well, I think even that distinction is a huge one of 
are there fewer opportunities? Are we making fewer opportunities? And right. Right. I agree. I think it's really, you know, a lot of what we see with certainly the millennial generation, but definitely increasingly with Gen Z and in the social dilemma is shocking to see the exponential hockey stick charts of how some of these things growing up, loneliness, impatience, deteriorating self-esteem, higher rates of suicidality. I think there is something very real about having time to just sit. And I feel it myself. Like, you know, you all probably talk about this amongst you. You're lucky to have each other too, amongst each other all the time. But we're like living to work rather than working to live. And I think a big part of that is being plugged in all the time and seeing constantly what others are doing and feeling like you have to keep up. I'm glad you brought up this idea of what I should be doing. Um, I feel the need to be productive. This word productive comes up a lot where I need to achieve something in any given hour or minute to feel like I did something Mm -hmm. worthwhile. And people use those timestamps or the time limits for like Facebook or Instagram. I actually have to use it for my email on the weekends because I can't get myself to like remove this thought that if I'm not checking it and an email comes in, I have failed at my job. That's the thing that I think Michelle was pointing out before too, is like as people who are so invested in social, things could happen at 1 a.m., And the social media manager could be sleeping and fear that they're going to lose their job because this momentous thing happened. And it's like this vicious cycle. This is a really good example of the power of expectation setting. And it's true in work roles, particularly in time sensitive ones. It's also true in relationships, honestly. And as we think about gearing up for the holidays, as we think about really all sorts of things, Um, boundary setting and expectation setting are so interwoven and tied. I've seen some influencers who I think do a really good job at expectation setting and boundary setting on social media, where they've actually turned turning off into a marketing opportunity. (laughs) No, I love that though, even from a brand perspective, like I've seen some food accounts where on a Friday, it's like, here's what we're making this weekend. Like, try it too. See you on Monday kind Mm -hmm. of thing of just like not expecting to be always on and giving, you know, people inspiration for things to do off social media. I've seen some people be creative with their email bounce backs as well. You mentioned earlier, you know, social media being a resource, um, you know, therapists putting out content or people finding Things on social that mm-hmm. they didn't expect. We've seen your amazing TikTok <laughs> videos. Um, tell us about some of the tactics that you're using on social media to remind people to prioritize <laughs> their mental health. Uh, great question. So I went to a <laughs> webinar probably like weeks ago at this point of um, someone describing like, what is TikTok anyway? What's What's its purpose? And joy is at the core of, of what they do in the core of their really like what drives the content that they hope to feature and joy scrolling. That's our new favorite word, joy scrolling. Well, and it's so real. I've always taken issue with when mental health is branded in a way that's, you know, dark Navy and black and gray are the only colors that are used. And there's a woman who's Uh crying in the corner of her bedroom and there's like a ghost illustration that's coming up for her. And I'm like, well, (laughs) mental health is not something to be made light of. And if someone is suffering, it really hurts. And it is 
very important mm-hmm. to take it seriously. However, there are so many manifestations of mental health and of just day-to-day insecurity and doubt and struggling. And I think that levity and humor are ways to access some of our deepest pain when the pain itself is too painful to name or to hold or to touch. And I think that if we make something really intimidating and for something like mental health that has a lot of shame or for a society that needs to be perfect and just admitting imperfection or being human is really scary, which it is, to add levity and add humor is really important. So on My Little Beings uh, social and in our content, we try our best to be as supportive as possible to be as authentic and human we really toe the line of uh, taking things seriously and things like suicidality and racism like there are very real things that we would never joke about but also try Mm -hmm. to be human and approachable and warm so that if someone has questions they feel safe asking them and they don't feel like they have to handle thing handle everything on their own And tactically, some of the things that we try to focus on are we actually source questions as often as possible from our community. And we say, hey, what is top of mind for you? What are you wondering? I have to ask, what is next? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's all of these reports are talking about the Mm -hmm. COVID numbers going through the roof again and the second wave. What do you think is not only next for my well-being and you? but really the future of teletherapy in general, or really not even teletherapy, therapy. How do you see that evolving? Yeah, it's also a great question. So the numbers are definitely increasing again. I think that in that same scale and balance spirit, I think there's a lot of anticipatory fear and panic around, oh my God, we're going back into physical distancing. What what am I, what are we going to do? And I also think we're holding some optimism around, oh, a vaccine is released. Oh, does this mean like, right. oh, maybe, you know, that in the next, say, six months, does that mean that things are going back to quote unquote normal? And for the future of mental health, my personal belief is that I think that to a certain degree, teletherapy is here to stay for some. I think the convenience and accessibility is really powerful for a lot of people. I think that in-person therapy will return. Um, I think it's just, I believe that the two are different experiences and I think there's a market. Me too. (laughs) And I think there's people who really strongly want one or the other for both very valid reasons. So I believe that the stigma reduction is going to continue, which is fantastic. I also think that Mm -hmm. there will continue to be more and more movers and shakers in the space. More funding will go into this space, which is fantastic. This is the beginning of, in a lot of ways, of course, mental health advocacy and mental health initiatives and mental health support have been around for a long time. But I think we're approaching a new wave of innovation and and really viewing this like an important and powerful place to be, not just a digging out of the well from a reactive, put a bandaid on it perspective. So I'm really excited to see some of what comes out. You're definitely part of that innovation. And 
Thank you for everything that you're doing to, again, push that conversation forward and for talking to us about it today. I know. We loved having you. This was honestly a goal of mine to get you on the show to talk about this. So I'm glad we could accomplish it. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to both of you. So when Alyssa was talking about, you know, how she didn't compare herself to the valedictorian in California Mm. because she didn't know... Yeah. You know, she didn't have access to that. Yeah. I was thinking about even now on TikTok, all of the videos that are trending or going viral about 15-year-olds today versus when I was 15. <laughs> yeah. You know, or yes. like h- how kids dance now versus when I danced. And it's really just like that comparison of like, I'm jealous as, you know, someone who's not in high school yep. of these high schoolers. And I'm like, wow, they're so cool. Why wasn't I that cool in high Correct. school? Or how well they dress or how well they do their makeup. Right. There's so much comparison that we are having right. towards these Gen Zers. Zers. <laughs> I it's, it's honestly wild. Well, that's why I can't imagine being that age Mm-mm. and how much more pressure there would be yeah I mean the accessibility point that she brought up is just so true like they these kids just have so much more at their fingertips literally Mm -hmm. it and it may not all spark joy unfortunately right right yeah I'm really glad that we had Alyssa on the show though because I know how much you appreciated the app Mm -hmm. and I've told people you've told people about it yeah so I hope that this helps kind of the word get out there some more. Me too. I mean, to the point that Alyssa made about the stigma of mental health really changing in this country. I think she is doing a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. helping this move in that direction. Totally. So moving into the account that we want you to follow, Alyssa mentioned a lot of therapists on Instagram sharing little tips. And one that we like to follow is at Millennial Therapist. And I see that Alyssa follows her as well. I'm on the page now. And I think that Millennial Therapist has done a really good job creating these posts that are kind of like meme style in the fact that they're text-based. And you know all the ones where you have like your horoscope? Yeah. And they're super easy to send to people and relate to. She creates a series of these text-based posts that are things like showing up for yourself can look like this. And there's 10 different options. Mm-hmm. Um 14 reasons we stay in relationships longer than we should, 20 signs of burnout. And it really helps me when I see things on the list that I identify with. I'm like, oh, wow, I am burnt out. Maybe I should think about that and what that means. I feel so similarly. I think this account specifically for me, using it as a tool to help describe my feelings has been really helpful. Like a conversation starter like with yourself. Correct. But to your point, too, it's super socially digestible when it comes to being able to share and relate with your friends. I mean, we talk about that a lot on the show on how we always share things within our girl group. Mm -hmm. And this is a prime example of things that, you know, normally would be a little taboo to discuss. But we have, you know, removed the stigma and can talk about it and share it. It's much more accessible. Like maybe that doesn't come up over your you know, bachelor night, but if you see it on Instagram, you'll share it and then we talk about it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Cool. Wow. This was like a very powerful feeling episode that we just recorded. I know. I'm inspired now to do more thinking (laughs) like that I talked about. Less screen time. Less scrolling, more thinking. Absolutely. Well, I encourage you all to do the same. Enjoy the rest of your day. All the social